Hi, I'm Amira Khalid, and I'm the creator and host of Inspiring UAE Women, the one and only podcast focused on female leaders in the United Arab Emirates. I enjoy meeting and talking to female leaders and finding out how they charted their path to professional success. In my show, Inspiring UAE Women, I will be interviewing and shining the spotlight on a diverse group of female leaders in the UAE and inspire women in the region with their success stories. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast. And if you do, please subscribe and leave your comments and ratings on iTunes. You can also follow the podcast on LinkedIn at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, Instagram at IUAW Podcast, and Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast. You can also email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com to get in touch. My guest today is Danny Hakim. Danny Hakim knows the score after 15 years agency side working to director level. She went through a long and slow burnout which forced her to reevaluate her life. Today she is one of the UAE's most sought after healthcare strategic consultants as well as a fully qualified integrative health coach. She is also the proud co-founder of Safe Space, a social impact agency committed to helping companies and individuals to pursue better mental health. On a mission to make men- mental health support accessible. They work with a network of trained professionals to provide initiatives, programs, and resources in a safe and nurturing environment so that people can learn how to prioritize their mental well-being. Their dream is to one day be able to provide communities with free support 365 days a year, funded by their work with corporates. To do this, Danny is creatively using her experience in the marketing industry to bring people together to rebrand mental health. Thank you so much for being on my show, Danny. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. My first question is, how did you get interested in mental health and what led you to build Safe Space? So 2017, for me, I refer to it as when the wheels fell off, which is the socially acceptable way of saying that I had a bit of a breakdown. I was working as a director in advertising, and I just had a baby and really just struggling with the pressures of working, being a new mom for the second time around. I had two babies under the age of 18 months. It was a pretty tough time. What I didn't really acknowledge to myself is that I was going through postnatal depression, and I was just showing up at work, praying that I could keep my job and keep my clients happy. And everything just wasn't possible for me at that time, crying in client meetings, taking feedback really badly. So through that journey, I was very, through the internet searches, reaching out to different groups to see what existed here. I just found it very overwhelming that there was just nothing really to kind of give me that context on what I was going through or help and support. And I think even though I'm a pretty switched on, you know, smart cookie, even reaching out for help, uh, professional help just seemed kind of too far. The advertising I was doing was really in the healthcare industry. This sort of like wave just hit me. So how can we have all this, you know, amazing healthcare system and amazing healthcare solutions, but as, you know, individuals, we're not really in, in touch with our health. And when it comes to mental health here, especially in the region, just didn't seem like there was the right kind of support that people need that were at the beginning of their journey. So that's really where it sort of started for me, that sort of curiosity and how can we do better and how can I make sure that nobody else has to really go through what I went through. In 2021, mental health is receiving a lot more airtime due to the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot more people are open to talking about it. But why is this topic so important and why should we be focused? 
focusing on it. So it's one of the silver linings of the pandemic, essentially, that, you know, everybody has struggled. The key ingredient for anxiety is uncertainty. And could we not have been through more of an uncertain 18 months? And really, I think now, because everybody has had a taste of having the rug pulled from under them, living in this fear of when will I see my family again, actual health fears, like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to be able to keep my job? You know, all of this kind of circling around, even if you're the most upbeat and positive person on the planet, this past 18 months will have affected you in some ways. And I think because of that, it has gone high on the agenda. And we're really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that people have been having this message. I'm really grateful that even in friendship groups, people have been kind of more open and sort of sharing their struggles because I think this is where it starts. And let's just take the rough with the smooth. The pandemic has really served as a driver and caused global focus to shift to important issues like food security, innovation in tech and mental health, which leads to my next question. Dana, tell us about the groundbreaking work Safe Space has done in collaboration with Google. Yeah, so we started uh, talking to them in 2019, so before the pandemic, and they'd reached out to us because they wanted to really revamp the way that their voice assistant communicates with people around emotional and mental health queries. They were getting so many queries, 100,000 queries a day in the MENA region. Those could be, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm lonely. What we did is we helped the voice assistant team craft some responses in Arabic to be able to better welcome those type of queries, signpost people. We, we reached out um, and did a sort of research piece across the MENA region looking for any kind of hotline or support group that we could redirect people to as well. And we've had an overwhelmingly great response so far. We're still in partnership with them, looking at how we can further tweak this information. Obviously, the voice assistant is a machine, so the more empathy, the more empathetic responses we can provide to the assistant, the better people can have that first-line response, which which I think is super important here. Coming to the corporate world, what are the critical issues that employers should know and understand about depression and how it affects their employees and their business? It affects the bottom line. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I can sit here and tell you to do the right thing, care for your people, you know, be an empathetic leader. But at the end of the day, it's going to impact your ability to do business, to really have a workforce that are engaged. Obviously, engagement is linked to happiness, um, like intrinsically linked. We have, you know, productivity, you know, the amount of presenteeism and absenteeism that we're seeing in workforces today. And I think as well, when it comes to sort of the mental side, employers aren't really seeing the true statistics. When people are sort of taking time off or people aren't working to kind of their best capacity, they're not really seeing those gaps transparently. We have uh, an assessment tool that we've built. One of the questions which is really telling is, have you been unproductive due to your mental health? So the most popular answer is yes, and I wasn't honest about it. So a lot of time people are just taking time off because they've got a migraine or they feel sick. They're so overwhelmed with work and they don't want to be the weakest link and say, hey, I'm really struggling because they don't want to lose their job or they don't want to lose face in front of their employer. So a lot of the time the employers aren't really, they don't have their eyes open to the severity, I think, of the challenge. So if we can do a little bit better, if we can provide more psychologically safe workplaces, so that's like really bringing people into you know the conversation, helping them to feel connected and belonging to the team, like a true part of the team. 
be heard, which I think is one of the biggest challenges, then it is going to have a really positive effect on your business. So what are some strategies employers can put in place? Are there any best practice examples currently being applied or that you'd like to see implemented? And it starts top down. You've got to have leadership that really understand and appreciate. And if they don't understand, they're vulnerable enough to be able to say, I don't understand and I want to learn. And they have that ability to listen and to really absorb what's kind of going on with the people part of their business, which, you know, is the heartbeat of the company. You're not just going to be able to throw a workshop at it or, you know, a yoga class and just hope that people will feel better. This is like a really long-term strategic process. The second thing is, is the corporate culture as well. So not just the leadership, but what the company sort of stands for and how does that really support the people within it. But I think there's little steps organizations can take, respect people's individual boundaries and I think it starts there with some companies even just at those basics of just like how can we do things just a little bit better what are the ways that we could uh, communicate better with each other just start from there the third thing is just really acknowledging mental well-being Actions speak louder than words in this in this kind of category. If you're a kind of company that have those things in place, I think as an employee, you start to feel that safety. You start to feel that you're represented and that you'll be heard. I think those things are really important just to let people know that there's an infrastructure in place. Are there any laws or regulations in the region around this? In your opinion, what needs to be done to better support awareness and possibly legislation? There on, it's a very grey area, to be honest. I know that things are changing. There was an update recently. There could be no prejudice taken around this this spot. Like, I don't think employees are really going to know what that means because there just isn't that level of transparency between the employee and the employer. Legislation obviously will help, but I think a lot of it has to come from within the organisations themselves and really putting their best foot forward. Because how you do business and how you interact with your people, not just the ones you employ, and how that then ripples out into the community sends a really strong message. From an employee perspective, I completely understand why people would hesitate to disclose any issues they might be facing. I can tell you from personal experience that I have worked for companies where you were considered a liability if you had any personal problems. People were reluctant to disclose those to HR or their line manager because they were worried that they would get terminated, which unfortunately was a very valid concern because that was the sort of corporate culture that was cultivated there bridges even into motherhood. On the topic of motherhood, in one of my previous jobs, an ex-colleague of mine had a baby. And I remember that upon her return from maternity leave, her line manager would refer to it as a vacation. Every time she would apply for annual leave, or at least try to, he would say, oh, but you've just come back from a long vacation. Why do you need more time off? So I see so many like brilliant women, they aren't able to find their kind of place in the workforce anymore because those places don't exist with the sort of level of support and understanding. Like, I don't think I could ever go back to a nine to five world because, you know, even just the simple pleasure of picking my children up from school. Danny, I want to address the stereotype that women tend to have a lot more mental health problems than men because they are weaker. Why are we still perpetrating this myth and what can be done to move past it? 
we don't all have mental illness, but we all have mental health, like we have physical health. It'd be more socially acceptable for women to communicate that they're sad or that they're angry or they're frustrated or they're lonely. Women do have it easier in that sense. When it comes to men, their ability to really express their emotions is squashed from a very, very young age. You know, we even see these sort of biases with toddlers. You know, don't, don't cry. Come on, pick yourself up. You know, Be strong. We're creating this kind of society where men don't feel comfortable to share their emotions. So we need to get better at that. I'm very conscious. I have a a four-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy, and I'm very conscious. And I catch myself doing it. I think we need to look from very, very young age, but also in adulthood, that we're giving both sexes the opportunity to feel those emotions and not have to label things all the time. You know, emotions aren't good or bad they're just emotions you all have them they're part of being human and the more we can kind of get our head around that I think the more we can start being comfortable with them and that will be the first step. Danny, how has your personal journey been? Have you encountered any stereotypes or the proverbial glass ceiling and how did you overcome it? The main challenge being a sort of like first time founder with Safe Space, we started off as a community meetup group and we've really just had to learn the hard way, just trying to figure out how this worked. It was actually a huge leap for us to really accept that to be able to help more people, we had to set up as a social enterprise, as a business. And I think that has definitely been a challenge as a female founder. I don't know whether it's also like the topic that we've chosen around mental health. I don't feel that we've had always the sort of same support as others, but from our perspective, maybe we've not gone out there and been bold enough to ask for it as well. And I think that's maybe something that we've found challenging. Although on the flip side, there have been brilliant programs that we've got in. I think because we are a team, a fully female team, that we've had access to those. But it's almost like I don't just access because we're a female team. I want access because we've got a great idea. We've got something that can be built on. So I have felt at times that it's taken us a lot longer to kind of get anywhere. And whether that's just out of sheer stubbornness and desperation. But I, I really hope that it would get better. And it's something that I'm really passionate about, helping others that might be in the same kind of situation um, and giving them our learnings. What's the best work-related advice you've ever received? Not to take things personally. So working in advertising, creativity is extremely subjective. And I think a lot of the time you can work, you know, and craft the most beautiful campaign. And when the feedback comes back that it's not right, or it could have been done this way, it's very difficult when you've put so much into the work that you're doing. I used to take a lot of that quite personally. And when I made that switch, I actually read a book called The Four Agreements. I really recommend it to everybody. One of the agreements is not to take things personally in the way that it's phrased in that book made so much sense to me that I can't keep taking everything on my shoulders. Not taking things personally has liberated me from so much stress and so much aggravation. It's been a game changer. The next question is one I ask all my guests. Could you name a woman who has inspired you the most? I've got a friend, her name's Naya. She's a fashion designer. The reason she inspires me personally is she's just so unapologetically fabulous. She speaks multiple languages, you know, she's creative, she's a wonderful mother, but she's also, you know, real and she accepts and loves her flaws. And I look up to her as a friend. I love spending time with her because I think it's really about time that women were as unapologetically fabulous as they could 
should be. Because a lot of time we make ourselves small or we kind of hide. We just got to put ourselves out there. And she's someone that really does that. So, and I'm sad that she doesn't live in Dubai anymore. She moved to Portugal a few years ago. But anytime I do get to spend with her, I really enjoy every single second of it. My last question is, Danny, as a female leader, what are three pieces of advice you would offer professional women? Number one is sleep. Sleep and rest and repair as much as humanly possible. I believe that the more rested you can be, the more impact you can have. And it feels sort of counterproductive sometimes. And, you know, a lot of us have maybe lost the ability to be able to switch off, but it is a superpower. And I think from having children, and one of them doesn't sleep very well. It literally was the thing that used to bring me to my knees all the time. But it is the one thing that's really, energized me more than anything else to self-care be self-aware understand where you know your values are what are important to you and stick by those have that sort of conviction to really do you and nobody else and I think the third thing is find moments of fun wherever you can and I think as an adult we forget sometimes on how to really have fun and let loose and enjoy ourselves and there's nothing more therapeutic than a good dose of laughter so whatever that looks like for you do more of it thank you so much for this educational interview danny it was a pleasure having you on my show thank you for listening to this week's episode of inspiring ua women podcast mental health is finally coming to the forefront as an important topic globally while issues of work-related stress are not new the covid19 pandemic has exacerbated individual concerns about job security financial situations and the overall state of affairs of the nation the World Health Organization estimates that globally 264 million people suffer from depression, which is one of the leading causes of disability with many of these people also suffering from symptoms of anxiety. A recent WHO-led study also estimates that depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy US dollar 1 trillion each year and lost productivity. Insurance provider Cigna conducted research in the UAE which indicated that workers in the region are contending with some of the highest levels of work-related stress. Of the participants in the survey, 71% stated that they are working longer hours, 53% said that they work through the weekend, and 95% of workers are impacted by the always-on culture of their workplace. This interview with Danny provided vital insights on the state of mental health and well-being in the corporate world in the UAE. While we're all more open to talking about mental well-being, there still aren't enough resources available to help people with emotional queries in the region. Employers need to implement a top-down approach and focus on fostering a strategic company culture that acknowledges the importance of the mental well-being of their employees. Legislative work needs to be done to support the growth of this culture in the UAE. We need to get rid of gender bias. As an employee, always remember not to take things personally at work. And lastly, don't forget to enjoy life and laugh more. If you'd like to reach out, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, Instagram at IUAW Podcast, Facebook at Inspiring UA Women Podcast, or email me on inspiringuawomen at gmail.com. See you next Thursday. Thursday.